There are major problematic areas within the design industry, and you want to really think critically about where do you want to spend your time and what do you feel okay about? Are you contributing to something that if you are honest with yourself, you are actually okay with? And and how does that help you make decisions about your career? How does that help you decide when to push back um, and to say no, or to say, I have some concerns? Um, and also just to be more aware in your own individual design practice. You know, we'll often um, focus on the desired optimal experience and we don't really think about what happens for people who don't fit that model, what happens for people who have a negative experience and what happens to those people that we kind of consider edge cases. So like, oh, that's not very common. So like, we don't really have to worry about that. That's where a lot of harm happens. And so I just wanted designers to really come away from that with a greater sense of personal responsibility in their own practice, and then also greater awareness of the kinds of like ethical decisions they might need to make in their career. I think there's a lot of people who have gotten very interested in this conversation and it has shifted their practice. It has shifted the questions that they're asking. It has shifted the way that they're thinking about their work. I think the downside is that what I have not seen any change on yet is really like the the business models that drive tech in Silicon Valley, particularly, where you you tend to have, you know, you have your like large shareholder driven organizations that are going to do whatever they have to do to appease shareholders. And like right now, that's, for example, mass layoffs, even if they have, you know, a great balance sheet, they've got lots of cash, they are going to do whatever makes shareholders happy. And the same is true when they're faced with ethical or moral decisions, they're going to tend to go along with the things that are going to make their shareholders happy. What's up, everybody? I'm Guo, and you're listening to the Not Just Pixel Show. There's a lot to learn as a designer. So in this show, I sit down with design professionals to understand how to grow as a designer and help you get that UX design internship or job. Let's get into it. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Walker Betcher. Sarah currently is the founder and CEO of Active Voice, a leadership development company on a mission to make work culture better for everyone. In 2018, Sarah wrote a book titled Technically Wrong, Sexist Apps, Bias Algorithms, and Other Threats of Toxic Tech. From the title of the book, you know that this episode will be different from the rest. We talked about the not-so-great and even harmful side of the tech industry and advice for junior designers who are about to enter the workplace. There's a ton of golden nuggets in this episode, and I'm sure you'll learn as much as I did. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Sarah Walker betcher Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I'm really excited about this one because this episode is going to be a little bit different from the people that I've talked to before. Mostly people that I've talked to before are either in-house designers or like design managers. And I think this conversation will bring a really new perspective into the design industry, tech industry in general. So I would love to start back in 2017. You wrote this book titled Technically Wrong, Sexist Apps, Bias Algorithms, and Other Threats of Toxic Tech. I would love to delve into that. So on a very high level, 
do you mind sharing with the audience like what's the book about and what are some of the key takeaways you wanted the readers to get after reading it? Yeah, so that book came about after I had just been noticing, tracking, and writing and speaking about all these different issues across tech products for a few years. And I'd been mostly talking to people who worked in tech at that point, looking at things like, hey, we should be thinking about the way that we design form fields. Um, Are we including people who don't identify as male or female? How are we handling information like people providing us race and ethnicity data? Um, What are we thinking about when it comes to what's required and what's optional? What are we expecting people to provide to us? Are there things that are too intrusive? Um, And that's just form fields, right? Like there's all these things we would talk about. We would talk about things like, you know, health tracking type apps, which oftentimes weren't designed with women in mind. So like Apple Health launching with no period tracking feature, but then also apps that were designed for women, particularly um, being very problematic in what they thought women wanted and needed. So there were other apps that, um, you know, were period tracking apps that would then give you all kinds of weird scolding messages if you, uh, I don't know, reported in the app that you had sex and it would be like, you need to watch out for unplanned pregnancy. And it's like, I knew people who were like, wait a second, my partner is a woman and cannot get me pregnant though. Things like that, mm-hmm. right? So all these different experiences, different ways that, that things could be harmful. And then getting all the way into things like biased algorithms um, where you could have things like, you know, predictive policing that would send more cops to neighborhoods that um, had already been targeted by lots of cops so therefore had higher rates of crime that were reported in those neighborhoods. And it became the cycle of continue to send cops to the same neighborhood because the algorithm tells you to. And then when you send cops there, they will find people to arrest. Now you have data that says there's more arrests to send more cops. So anyway, whole landscape of all these different ways that technology could be used to harm people, could be used to exclude people, some of it inadvertent and some of it deeply, 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 deeply scary. And when I wrote Technically Wrong, my goal was really just to kind of put these things into context with each other. Some of them are more severe than others, but to be able to say, these are all the result of an industry that hasn't really reckoned with its power. And people who are working in the field, oftentimes getting too excited and too focused on the vision for what they were designing or building, that was going to be this like, you know, bright, beautiful thing that would disrupt whatever existing market was there and create something better in its place. And what we wanted to talk about in this book, what I I was really focused on was like, where are the ways that that goes wrong? And how do we start to be more accountable to that? What does that mean for individuals as you're thinking about the work that you're doing? What does that mean for tech companies and the products that they're putting into the market? And then what if all of us, whether you work in the field or not, was were more aware and engaged in these issues? Because oftentimes, you know, it's really hard to keep up with all these details. Like most people don't know where all their data is going and how it's being used. They don't realize that every time they sign into Facebook, the amount of data that is then collected about them and shared with other entities is astounding. And it's very hard to keep track of all of it. I don't think individuals really can keep track of all of it. But what I wanted to do with that book was really create something that pulled a lot of those pieces together into perspective in a way that would be accessible to a really broad audience. And so it was designed to be read by basically anyone. It's been read by lots of like students and college classes, um, but also 
a lot of people in design picked it up and wanted to talk to me about it. And I really hope that designers take from it, you know, there are major problematic areas within the design industry. And you want to really think critically about where do you want to spend your time and what do you feel okay about? Are you contributing to something that if you are honest with yourself, you are actually okay with? And and how does that help you make decisions about your career? How does that help you decide when to push back um, and to say no, or to say, I have some concerns? Um, and also just to be more aware in your own individual design practice, to really be able to design things with more people in mind, with a broader ses- sense of use cases in mind, with the idea that you know we'll often um, focus on the desired optimal experience and we don't really think about what happens for people who don't fit that model, what happens for people who have a negative experience and what happens to those people that we kind of consider edge cases. So like, oh, that's not very common. So like, we don't really have to worry about that. That's where a lot of harm happens. And so I just wanted designers to really come away from that with a greater sense of personal responsibility in their own practice, and then also greater awareness of the kinds of like ethical decisions they might need to make in their career. Mm-hmm. I think that brings up a really good point about like companies being narrow focus and like tech companies believing that they understand the users, but they actually come up with an experience that's solely designed for them and actually leaving out a lot of people. You wrote the book back in 2017. I'm curious, like, has anything changed in the tech workplace and just, I guess, how tech companies design products in general? I mean, lots of things have changed and not changed. I think that, um, you know, in 2017, we had not had a global pandemic, um, which really upended a yeah. lot of things. But but also we we've had... Um, I think over the past few years, what I have seen is a lot more interest in Mm -hmm. talking about issues of like bias, exclusion and harm in technology. I mean, when I wrote that book, I was like, who else is thinking about this? And I felt like I had to really like hunt for people. And now that's totally different. There are so many people who are talking about so many facets of bias and harm in tech and design and who are really talking critically about the industry as a whole. There was, it's not that that didn't exist back then, but it was just a lot less of it. And it felt like it was much quieter and a little bit more um, in the margins versus now. I think it's a lot more mainstream to have those conversations. I think that's really great. And I think it also dovetails with some other shifts that have happened. You know, tech companies in 2020 had a moment um, after George Floyd's murder where they all suddenly were like, oh yeah, we should like do something about that. And many of them have not done much of anything and haven't necessarily connected the dots between like harm and exclusion in their products and things like white supremacy. Mm. But there has been a growing conversation about that. I think that the downside is like, I think that there's a lot of people, well, the upside is I think there's a lot of people who have gotten very interested in this conversation and it has shifted their practice. It has shifted the questions that they're asking. It has shifted the way that they're thinking about their work. I think the downside is that what I have not seen any change on yet is really like the the business models that drive tech in Silicon Valley, particularly where you, you tend to have, you know, you have your like large shareholder driven organizations that are going to do whatever they have to do to appease shareholders. And like right now, that's, for example, mass layoffs. Even if they have, you know, a great balance sheet, they've got lots of cash, they are going to do whatever makes shareholders happy. 
And the same is true when they're faced with ethical or moral decisions. They're going to tend to go along with the things that are going to make their shareholders happy. And that's where I think that, you know, there's there's a limited amount that we can do as individuals. And there's more we can do as more collectives, right? There's more we can do if we unionize. There's more that we can do if we just talk about these issues and stand up against them and say, okay, no, we need to think about these things when we're making design choices. But at the same time, there is a little bit of a limit in, unless there is some kind of incentive for companies to do things differently. And that really means, you know, things like policy, because if a company left to its own devices, what it's, it has to do, like if it is a shareholder driven company, they are required by law to make decisions that are good for those shareholders. And so that means tends to be short term, tends to be very um, financially driven. And it's very difficult, no matter what values that organization says it has or wishes that it had, it's really difficult to actually do something different because the system is all optimized in one direction. And the same is true for smaller tech companies who are taking venture capital because they are 100% optimized toward like making those investors happy and being able to give those investors a payday someday. And so that it just means that it warps the, the, um, the priorities people have. And I think knowing that as a designer is really important, knowing that you need to go really clear eyed into this industry and be able to say, okay, I understand like how my business makes money, like where I work. I understand how they make money or that they don't make money, for example. Right. And, um, and what that means and am I okay with that? And, you know, can I live with it? Um, maybe it, maybe there are compromises that you make, but I do think that it's really important to start looking at those things critically and asking questions. And then I think really about, um, you know, being more community minded with each other, with the people who work in the field and more oriented toward how do we want to change things and how do we create mm. a stronger collective of people who actually build this stuff who can say, you know, no, we're not, we're not willing to do this. Or who can say, you know, we're not going to go work at companies that are, I don't know, like trying to optimize detaining immigrants for ICE or whatever. Like that's mm -hmm. a, that's yeah. a shift that I think we all have to come to um, on our own terms. But I think that those are the kinds of questions I'm seeing posed so much more often. So it's like, okay, big picture, the tech industry has largely kind of like operated off the same incentives. The culture around tech has shifted in terms of who is talking about what and whether it's okay to criticize tech. That has changed. And I think that's good. And now we are seeing things like funding drying up or we are seeing things like, you know, Silicon Valley Bank um, going under suddenly, which is, is scary, but it's also representative of maybe like a shift in, in this moment and a shift in the power structure of, um, who has power in tech and where that power goes. And I think that that might be an interesting place to see what happens over the next few years. If people are suddenly even more critical of tech because it stops seeing, seeming like this, like, um, you know, shiny, lucrative, cool place to build your career. The point that you mentioned, designers understand the business, the company that they're working in and how they're making money. And you also mentioned that like companies are, they make decisions based on more financial and also just monetary incentives. I'm curious, obviously culture is a great first step 
to try to change that. I'm curious, um, like what are some other things that we can do to potentially, I guess, like change more on the tech company, like how they operate things? Because it seems like to me right now, it seems like a very high wall to try to cross over. Um, yeah, curious yeah. to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it is. I don't, I think that this is like, it's actually a really big exercise and exhaustion feeling like you as an individual designer is responsible for changing how a corporation functions or what it prioritizes. It's actually, I, I think it's actually um, thinking about it in that lens is going to be pretty deflating because you are very likely to hit up against forces a lot more powerful than you and then feel powerless when you can't make it happen. Mm -hmm. And I've seen people really burn themselves out that way. That's not to say that like you shouldn't, you should just like accept the status quo and just keep on, put your head down and get back to work. That's not what I mean. But I would think critically about where and how you want to invest your time and energy. Um, I would say sometimes it's really helpful to say, you know, my job is not to try to convince a corporation to act in a way that is against the incentives that are designed for it. My job is like, I want to be honest with myself about what this organization is doing and how it aligns or does not align with my values. I want to talk with people about that. And I want to form, you know, stronger bonds and communities with other people who care about these issues so that we can start to figure out what are some other ways of approaching things. And also so that like, I don't get caught up in this. So for example, let's say I go work at a tech company. Sounds good on paper. They make some, you know, SaaS product. And as I'm working there, I keep noticing things that seem very harmful, that seem problematic, ways in which that particular product uh, might actually be not so, um, you know, uh, not so neutral. Um, I'm like, oh, wow, we sure have a lot of customers from like extreme right-wing organizations or I don't know. Oh, we're sure doing some weird stuff with data. I think that the more that you build a network of peers who have these conversations with you and the more that you are honest with yourself and with each other about that, the easier it is to then walk away from a job that like looks good on paper, but actually makes you, mm -hmm. when you look at it directly, makes you feel pretty bad. And so I think that's, that's where I would spend more time is like, okay, maybe you, maybe that isn't the right job. Even if it's a place where you think you can get like the best salary package and where you get like lots of, you know, stock options, right? You've got um, lots of, um, of potential equity in the company if that company ever does well. And it, so it sounds great. And it's like, I want to ride this rocket ship. It's oftentimes the way people will talk about it. And like, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that is, that is the mindset people get into. It's like, I'm going to, this is going to make me. And to say, you know what, maybe that would happen. And I'm willing to forego that because actually it's more important to me to feel good about the work that I'm doing. And it's more important to me to be able to sleep well at night. And I think that that's, that is the fundamental like kernel of where any change starts is when we are honest with ourselves and we're willing to look at the situation and accurately talk about what's happening. And until we can do that, it's like none of the rest of it even matters. So let's say start there and then, Think about how do you want to make more considered choices for yourself? 
Then we want to talk about how do we like agitate for real change. And I think that's complicated. I wish I had answers there. If I did, I would have like figured it, I would have fixed it by now if I could. Mm -hmm. Right. But I do think this is where we have to, we have to also recognize like what is possible from where I am right now. And that might be more low to the groundwork and that there are some things that aren't possible from where you are. Like, for example, you and I are probably not going to like, implement a different kind of business model at the macro level where organizations are required to take more into account than like financial profitability. Like that is a, that is a policy and regulatory conversation that is not my area of expertise. And, um, and that means like, it's a kind of a like beating your head against the wall thing to feel like that's your responsibility. And instead to say like, well, what if my responsibility is to speak up about these things, to have these conversations, to educate more people, to be more vocal, to agitate politicians, to like actually do something, to care about this stuff. Great. That's where you can spend some time and where you can feel like you can have some success. But I think like setting ourselves up to feel like it's our job to move the boulder up the hill. You're just Sisyphus trying to push it over and over again and it keeps rolling back. That's not going to feel good. That's when people stop caring, right? That's when they start feeling like this is impossible and they just give up. And I think that that what we really need is people who can feel like sustained and hopeful for the long term. So like, I guess um, even though like seeing these things happening in the company, but still remaining optimistic and positive about like the long term future um, or the potential change that might happen mm-hmm. in a company per se. Yeah. I mean, I guess I actually differentiate between like positivity and hope. I'm not a super mm. positive person, um, meaning like I don't I don't just like look on the bright side of things all the time. And mm. I don't mm-hmm. I don't like to to say we should we should have a positive perspective. I actually think that can get pretty toxic. Like toxic positivity is basically like don't talk about the negative stuff. Right. Like we should just mm. focus on the positive. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like that. Um because I think we have to be able to talk about problems as they are. We have to be able to be honest about them in order to fix them. However, mm-hmm. what I think hope is really meaningful because hope is about saying that um, I haven't given up a vision for things being different. And I am still willing to put energy into work where, where things could be different. Um, I have enough hope and that hope might be for the tech industry. That hope might be for humanity. I mean, like you can look at hope a lot of different ways, but it's more about saying, I still believe it matters to try to do something, um, which I think is different than the the positive spin is often like, look how much progress we've made or like, let's just talk about that side. And I, and I actually, I don't know that that's that valuable. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hope is like, you understand the big picture, both the positive and the negatives, but you're still, yeah, I guess I, I can't really think of an adjective other than hopeful that that's yeah. more suiting, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's more about that. And I, um, I totally agree. Yeah. I think positive is, I guess, more of a narrow minded way of looking at things in some mm-hmm. ways. Yeah. I would love to also kind of shift gears. We've been talking about this topic, um, kind of indirectly just now, but I would love to kind of put our lens to junior designers and just college students that are about to enter the workforce. Yeah. Um, the, the part that you mentioned just now that really resonated with me was about the fact that like people see tech as this like shiny, you know, beautiful rainbow place 
Um, but in the early chapter of your book, you wrote, tech is not magical, it's fallible. There's a lot of problems that people don't see. And I feel like for myself, I'm definitely still in that early career phase where I feel like tech is like the way to go for me. And so mm -hmm. I think it's really important to add in another layer of perspective. So I think in general, like what are some things that you think will be helpful or good to know um, for junior yeah. designers or just people entering the workforce before they actually do yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that um, there are a lot of great things about working in the tech industry or adjacent to it. Um, it's fun and interesting to be building something new. There's a lot of creativity that can come up in there. Um, there are oftentimes higher salaries and um, potential to grow really quickly, like to be handed something major to work on as a junior person and then to be able to kind of like um, grow with the company, which has led to a lot of people getting very senior in their careers really quickly. That can feel really great. There are downsides to that too. Like some people have gotten in wave over their heads, have ended up in leadership mm -hmm. roles that they had no idea how to handle. And that can also get very messy when leadership roles really deal with a lot of people skills. And if you don't have them and you don't know how to deal with difficult situations, you don't know how to handle like managing through a crisis, it can go very, very badly. Mm -hmm. So there are benefits though to all of these things and then some drawbacks. But I think the thing to know is like, it's not about whether you should or shouldn't go into tech or whether it's good or bad. It's like, it's an industry. There's lots of industries tech has kind of eaten up a bunch of other industries. And so it is where there tends to be the greatest number of opportunities, but it can also come with things like lots of burnout. I know so many designers in tech companies who feel really frustrated because their whole, their whole design process has gotten truncated into just like get ship something out the door as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. um, we need to grow as quickly as possible. Everything is growth oriented. It's very short sighted. Um, they'll, they feel oftentimes like they're losing connection to their craft or mm -hmm. that their, their more thoughtful approaches are not really considered. Um, I know a lot of people who feel like they got into design because they wanted to be user focused. They really cared about the people mm -hmm. they were designing for user experience with the heart of everything that they do. And they feel like that they're kind of actually like their real job has turned into like put a UX spin on what are fundamentally mm. business decisions. So make make the thing in such a way that it'll make as much money as possible and then make it seem like you care about users in the process. Now, that's a pretty jaded perspective. Like that is not what everybody feels in the tech industry. But I would say if you're a junior designer and you're trying to figure out where you want to go, um, there's, no, there's a whole bunch of considerations, right? Like, so some of them are probably going to be focused on things like finances. And I, you know, like, I don't know your life, but um, probably most of the people listening to this need money at some level. And so like, yeah, that's going to be a consideration. And, and that's okay. And higher salaries do often exist in, um, in tech. And so, okay, take that into account, but also take into account other things. Um, I think sometimes it's easy to get very single-minded around what is the most lucrative or like what is the most prestigious or what's like the coolest, what are my peers doing? And what I would also add into the mix is like, what are your values? What do you care about? Um, what makes you feel fulfilled and satisfied? What feels interesting? What are you curious about? What does like a balanced and full life look like to you? A lot of times early career, it's a place where people can go 
deep dive into work, right? And kind of like mm. let work really take over. I think in your generation, that's actually changing. There's a lot of pushback to that idea that when I was your age, it was sort of assumed like you spend your 20s, like you got to get your foot in the door, you got to like move up and that means whatever it takes. And I think people are questioning the whatever it takes thing. So I think continue to question that and think about what is what is the life you really want to have. And that means there's a lot of variables and that means that like everything is a trade-off, right? Like, so for example, I know people who thought that what they really needed was to work at like a cool tech company that had, you know, like a big valuation. They were doing interesting stuff. They had lots of budget for headcount. So there's like big teams and, and yeah, that's great. And except it's like, you know, those things sometimes then tank and then a lot of layoffs mm -hmm. happen or you spend all of your work focused on these hitting these growth metrics at the expense of the reason you came to design in the first place, which was like to make good things for other people. And so you have to think about those are real sacrifices. And so some people I know have gone from working at a place that seemed cool on paper to places that mm. are often perceived as like boring or dated, like to go work for, I don't know, you know, like a um, e-commerce company, like just doing like retail, um, right? Like going to work for, not working in a retail establishment, but like being a designer right, right. who works on target.com or something, right? Where it's like, okay, that's not perceived maybe as being as innovative, but it's like these people who are like, yeah, no, but I actually get more time to do good work. I can think about the work that I'm doing. Um, the business model is, I mean, we, this isn't about saying that companies are like good or bad per se, but more saying like the business model is at least obvious, like Target sells goods and, and yeah. exchanges that for money. And like, it's not, there's no deception there. Um, right, we could right. have other conversations about like business models and practices, but it's like, at least there is a business model that adds up where it's like, yeah, you, you know, trade your dollars for like detergent for and items, books. whatever. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, mm -hmm. I get it. Um, I feel okay about that. And I think that that's okay. You know, I think some of this is to decide mm -hmm. what you feel okay about, what you feel good about. And that may look different than what your peers are doing. That may be something that is a little more unexpected. Um, but also trust that like you have a long life, hopefully long career. You know, I'm, I'm 39. I've been working for a while. I'm not, I'm not going to get to be done for a while. It takes a, you know, you have a lot of years to, to your career typically, Think about that because um, if you end up in a in a field where you're pretty miserable and where you're burning out and where all of the decisions are optimized around like, you know, wealth accumulation for a very small number of people, um, you can easily wind up one day being like 30 years old and being like, what am I even doing? And burning out so spectacularly that you leave the field altogether. Mm -hmm. I think if it's a lot healthier actually to kind of say, okay, my career is going to be a lot of things. It's going to be messier and weirder, quirkier than maybe I can anticipate. Um, can I embrace that? And how do I make decisions that I can feel good about, even if other people don't quite understand them? Turning the tables a little bit, I think one part that I wanted to ask about is let's say like a junior designer joins a company 
but then realizes mm. that oh it's a little bit different from what i thought like what i imagined what are some of the things that they can do is is leaving the company the only option or is like talking to managers yeah just curious to hear because i feel like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. will happen at one point oh yeah yeah so what i would say is like leaving the company is always an option and you know i think doesn't mean it's an easy option, especially if you're early in your career. It may be harder for you to just up and go. You may not have as many resources accumulated, right? Like if you don't have a fund set aside for that sort of thing. Um, And also, you know, the job market isn't necessarily always the easiest for junior designers. So I recognize it might not be easy to decide to leave. But actually, I'm going to suggest always put quitting on the table for yourself. Not because that's what you should do or not because you should take it lightly, but because it's important to remember that that's an option. Mm. When I say that's an option, what I mean is not that it doesn't have trade-offs. Like it might be a really, really risky option for you. You might say, okay, that's a scary option to take. That has a high level of risk associated with it because I don't have a, you know, a large fund piled up for this and I don't know what I would do. But knowing that it exists, that it's possible is helpful because otherwise we can get into these mindsets that are kind of like, I have to accept this because I can't quit. And I think it's healthy to say, wait a second, I can always quit. There will just be consequences. What would those consequences be? And am I equipped for them? Because there may come a time when actually it feels scary to quit, but you totally can and it won't be a huge problem in your life. And it helps to remember this is always a choice. What are the consequences in this moment? That said, doesn't mean you always need to quit. But I think what you do want to think about is, okay, that's one choice that's kind of at the extreme end, right? Mm-hmm. What are some other options? And I think a big one would be speaking up and figuring out who can you talk with and how safe is it for you to speak up in your organization? Um In general, I always recommend that people try to identify who some of their allies are in the organization, like who are the people who have your back. If you Mm. don't think you have any, um, it might be really helpful to kind of try to build some of those, particularly early on before you have anything to speak up about. Looking to, to build connections in the workplace can be really powerful to get help and support when something goes wrong. And then I would say... Know that speaking up can be very um, can be very successful, can create change, and it creates risk. Um, right? It can it it makes you stick stand out, and sometimes you stand out and are um, rewarded for that, and sometimes you stand out and are punished for that. Um, so start to look at the risk in your workplace. Think about you know who has who has spoken up before, what experiences have you seen happen to them. Think about who might be a safe person to talk to or like a lower risk person to talk to. Um, It depends on the nature of what's going wrong. You know, for a lot of people, if they see something, let's say they see something like um, what seems inequitable or something that looks like harassment happening in their workplace, um, you know, you might feel like the, the right answer is to go to HR. And sometimes it it is, but you also should know HR works for the company and HR's number one goal is to protect the company from legal risk. Um, It's Mm. like, that's that's really what they have to be optimized for, which means that you just want to make sure you understand what you're getting into. Um, And same with talking to your manager or talking to somebody in a leadership role. It's like, get a read on them, get a read on like how safe of a person you, you think that they might be. You might be able to start by um, building that relationship early on and disclosing, you know, little bits um, and get a read on like, how do they react? How how well do they actually listen when you raise a problem? 
Do they dismiss the problems that you raise or do they tend to take you seriously? What kind of follow-up do they do? And I think the more comfortable you get in, um, in speaking up in the little ways, the easier it is then to, to kind of like gauge, okay, mm-hmm. I think that I can, this is something that I can really make something happen here. But you always want to balance, um, you know, you want to balance your own safety with your own desire to make change. And so like, again, it is not your personal burden to like turn yourself into a target in your organization mm-hmm. just to get your organization to stop doing something unethical. That is that is a really high risk for somebody in a junior role to take. So you just want to really think about what what kind of risk you can tolerate right now. And that said, go take some risks for sure. Like don't play it safe the whole time. You will be a happier person, I think, if you take some of those risks. But it's just like, doing some assessment first to figure it out Mm, right right yeah so like kind of thinking about the action that you're gonna take the potential consequence and i guess as a junior designer if you're able to handle those consequences and bounce back from it yeah and get some support right like it's less risky if there are other people who are saying the same thing it's less risky if you can get the vocal visible support of somebody who has more power in the organization like I know somebody who would say like, find the like most, like the like most norm seeming, like cis white guy with a senior (laughs) title, you know, like find that person who is going to get the benefit of their um, maybe experience and also their identity and be perceived as, Oh, well that, that person must be reasonable. Right. Like, Get them to go to bat for some of this stuff. Um, I think that the more that you can look for people who can support you, the, there's more safety in numbers. I also think um, that it's okay if you decide that it is too risky for you right now. Um, you know, like, for example, I know people who are on, like, H-1B visas, and if they lose their job, they're going to have to leave the country, and they don't have a big window to find a new job. Yeah, they're not in the best position to be really critical of their companies. That's real. Um, And that also means if that's not you, right? Like, so if you are the person in the privileged position who's like, oh, yeah, I have this huge, like, like wealth of family support and I have lots of, like, connections and all these other things. It's like, great, use it. Um, That's a great sign that you have a higher risk tolerance. Stand up for those people who don't. Um, I know we're almost out of time, so I would love to jump into the final question, um, which is a conversation with your younger self. So if you're now facing yourself, but 20 years old, what career slash life advice will you tell the young Sarah? Mm. I think what I would tell her is make sure you know what's in it for you. And what I mean by that is it's okay if you give a lot to a company from time to time. It's okay if you uh, get, you know, really invested in your projects. It's okay if you work extra, but really be mindful of what you're getting out of that. What are you learning? How is it helping you grow? Is it giving you something that is meaningful and satisfying beyond just like, I don't know, making you feel like you deserve to be there or making you feel like it's like a potential to climb up the ladder because those things are usually not enough. Um, And your Mm -hmm. company 
does not deserve all of you. Your company is not paying enough to get all of you. Mm -hmm. Your company deserves to have somebody who's doing a good job at the duties that are assigned to them in their role. And Mm -hmm. and that's what you owe to them. And so if you are going above and beyond, just make sure that you are getting your needs met from that and that there are reasons you're doing it outside of your company. So like, yeah, understanding before entering, like, I guess like things good to know, which is basically some of the stuff that we talked about as well to junior designers. And yeah, I think this episode would be really helpful just for anybody in general who is about to enter the industry. And this year has been like incredibly tough for a lot of new grad people just because the economy and also just all the other companies. So I would hope that this episode will really help the people out there and kind of think about their career path and also being more introspective about where they want to go in the future. Um, But yeah, Sarah, this was a blast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Guo. It's great to be here. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And again, before we say goodbye, my name is Guo, and you've just listened to the Not Just Pixel Show. And I'll see you in the next episode.